Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, always giving you news from an African perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet. I'm Jolani Tulo. In studio with me today is Anne Musa and Tabiso Lihoko. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine. The Sawa projections by experts advising the South African government. COVID-19 are predicting that infections could reach 12 to 13 million by November. The African Energy Chamber releases a report on common sense energy agenda against COVID-19 and the oil price war. And in economics, another 2.4 million people filed for the unemployment benefit in the United States in the past week. But first, let's get our full news bulletin with Anne. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Tanzania's President John Makafuli says there is no need to continue with a partial lockdown because the number of infections in the country has gone down. He was speaking during the swearing-in ceremony of a new Deputy Health Minister. He has ordered the resumption of colleges, universities, partial secondary school learning, as well as sporting activities beginning on the 1st of next month. Tanzania halted some public gatherings, including learning and sporting activities in March, following the outbreak of COVID-19. Pandemic. Sarah Kimani reports. In the past few days, Magufuli has rejected claims that his government is mishandling its response to the coronavirus. He also insists that the number of COVID-19 patients in the country has reduced, although Tanzania has not released any updates on the disease infection trends in the country since the end of last month. Earlier, he questioned the reliability of the test kits used in the country. On Monday this week, the East African nation announced the reopening of its skies for international passenger flights and waived the need for mandatory 14-day quarantine for those arriving in the country. South Africa's public broadcaster, the SABC's news office in Cape Town, has recorded its first coronavirus positive case. The regional editor, Kenneth Marketeers, says one of the staff members went for a test on Monday after displaying flu-like symptoms that got worse. The employee received a test on Thursday. As a precautionary measure, the SABC protocols have been implemented. The SABC office in Seapoint has been closed with immediate effect. All staff members who were still working from the office will self-quarantine for two weeks and continue to work remotely. The SABC building in Seapoint has been closed for deep cleaning to ensure that it's safe when employees return to work. Staying in South Africa, the country's health minister, Zulim Kize, has accepted personal protective equipment and medical devices donated by the U.S. government, the church and other stakeholders. The U.S. government has donated 1,000 ventilators, 50 of which have already arrived. Blood pressure monitors are also among the donated medical equipment. South Africa has now recorded over 19,100 confirmed coronavirus infections and 369 deaths. Mkize says the donated materials will be distributed across the country. They've made a generous contribution which uh, amounts to 70,000 KN95 masks, 
30,000 surgical masks, 50,000 coveralls, 3,420 packs of plastic aprons, and 50,000 face shields, 1.5 million gloves, and 250 infrared thermometers. All of these are valued at, a, at a 1 million US dollars, and we are very pleased again to receive this donation. South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Cooperations, Naledi Pando, says Mozambique has asked South Africa for assistance with combating an insurgency in the Cabo Delgado province. She says the two governments are discussing how South Africa can help Pando, has told the International Relations and Cooperations Committee in Parliament that the attacks against civilians in Mozambique are worrying. At this point, we understand that Mozambique is making use of private uh, security uh, providers in order to uh, uh, fight this uh, insurgent group uh, whose identity uh, has not been uh, publicly revealed. One of the attacks on a community in Cabo Delgado was named by ISIS as being their responsibility, but we have no definitive knowledge as to who is responsible for this situation. Pro-democracy activists and politicians in Hong Kong have denounced plans by China to introduce a new national security law. The legislation proposes changing the territory's legal system and targeting what it calls terrorism following months of sometimes violent protests. One politician said the announcement was the saddest day in Hong Kong's history. Another said it was the end of one country, two systems. However, pro-democracy activists believe that Beijing is slowly eroding Hong Kong's judicial independence and other freedoms not enjoyed in mainland China. Chris Patton, the last British governor of Hong Kong, condemned the move, saying China is failing to adhere to the terms of the handover in 1997. We should make it clear to the Chinese that this is outrageous. We should talk to our allies, our friends around the world, all of whom have a stake in two things. First of all, the continuance of Hong Kong as a great international city in Asia. And secondly, in whether or not China can be trusted to keep its word. In sports news, South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns have extended head, head coach Pizzo Musimani's contract by four years. It was a protracted contract between the management and the coach that lasted for a year. However, both parties have reached an agreement and Musimani is ready to continue to lead the team. The 54-year-old is by far the most successful coach at Sundowns. The Soweto-born coach has won nine trophies since joining the team seven years ago. He led the club to a record ninth APSA Premiership title last season when he won his fourth league trophy. Musimane is the only coach to win four league titles with the same club. Sundowns President Patrice Mutsipe. Our own South Africans who've been part of us are now at the highest level in the world. So I've said many years ago when they were talking about Bafana and all sorts of things and going overseas, it would make us proud if at the right time there's an exciting opportunity and Peter Gwen coaches uh, at a higher level, La Liga or wherever. But in the meantime, I'm going to do everything possible to to keep him here. And I want to make his life miserable by uh, making sure that if he gets another offer from I don't know where else, I said, did you look at those numbers correctly? And of course, in the interest of Sundowns, as president, we will do and I will do all that I can to make sure that we pay him and that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent. 
and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne, for that news update. Projections by scientists and experts advising the South African government, COVID-19, are predicting that infections could reach 12 to 13 million by November with a death toll of up of up to 40,000 by the end of this year. This was revealed during a modeling symposium hosted by Health by the Health Department on Thursday. Various modeling strategies and data were presented to the department as a broader engagement and exchange of views in the curbing of the spread of COVID-19. Nomalizo Mandela reports. As the country enters the winter season, it is expected to be the most difficult three months in the battle against COVID-19. In its presentation during the modeling symposium, SA COVID-19 Modeling Consortium predicts that the peak in ICU beds threshold will be around June and July. The peak in active cases is likely between early, Ju- early July in the pe- pessimistic scenario and mid-August in the optimistic scenario but this will be affected by measures in place after the 31st of May, which um, are currently uncertain. There's considerable variation in timing and scale of peaks between the provinces, and the variation will be greater um, at lower spatial scales, such as districts and subdistricts. Approximately 12 to 13 million symptomatic cases are projected by the beginning of November, with uh, between 475 and 680,000 requiring hospitalization. Um, And we do expect that hospital and ICU Capacity will be exceeded, but the timing and extent of exactly when that will occur is uncertain. Life Sciences and Health Leader at Deloitte, Ashley Theopanadis, says the peak in infections is expected around September. We can see that um, based on this, the expected number of COVID cases um, are are expected to peak around August, September. Um, we can see that um, the, the results showing approximately um, 3 million people. I think what's quite important to note is that um, the, the various interventions that get applied will, of course, influence these results. And, and as people abide by various social distancing processes, we can, of course, keep the cases as, as low as possible. Walmos agreed that the five-week lockdown has succeeded in flattening the curve. Pandemic data and analytics, Panda, disagrees. Panda's Nick Hudson says stringent regulations had no effect in flattening the curve. What we're saying is that there is no correlation between lockdown stringency and the number of days to peak. And that is being um, found uh, it's, it's a result that pertains regardless of how we measure lockdown stringency. So whether we use the Oxford time series, which will be very familiar to everybody, or whether we use um, a cellular to definite information to measure actual changes in social distancing. We don't see any impact of lockdown. On the provincial projections, SA COVID-19 Modeling Consortium predicts that the ICU beds in the Western Cape may be breached by early next month. Most of the provinces are on a trajectory that's similar to the optimistic trajectory, but the Western Cape is um, on what looks like the pessimistic trajectory. Um, and p- in particular, the pessimistic trajectory for the Western Cape um, is predicting that ICU beds may actually be breached, um, the threshold may be breached as early as the beginning of June. Meanwhile, VETS physicist Professor Bruce Melado told the symposium that the Gauteng province is ready to move to level three lockdown. 
the improvement on how well, how we adhere to uh, social distancing has to be greater than the change in or the decrease in the stringency of the lockdown. Okay, if that is not the case, then we're basically going to go to very fast increases and not, are going, not going to be able to control the situation. So in terms of what we showed, uh, we showed for Hauteng, the equation for Hauteng uh, looks like uh, the increase of adherence to social distance is about 20%, which is greater than the uh, what's going to happen when we move from level three, sorry, from level four to level three, which warrants the transition to level three. Still in South Africa, Health Minister William Kieser has announced that the number of coronavirus infections in the country have increased to 19,137, with COVID-19-related deaths rising to 369. He made the announcement in Pretoria during the acceptance of donations valued at millions of rands. Maluti Obuseng reports. A total 18,572 people have been tested in the last 24 hours, and out of that, 1,134 people tested positive. Mkize says over half a million people in South Africa have been tested and 11 million others screened. Western Cape continues to be ahead regarding increasing number of infections. Mkize says more efforts are needed in that province to deal with the spread of coronavirus. This has necessitated us to uh, uh, move uh, with additional support and reinforcement uh, which we have uh, uh, se- we have sent into the western cape uh, as of uh, uh, yesterday our teams of uh, cuban doctors <clears throat> 28 uh, uh, 28 specialists have gone in there there will be also additional uh, reinforcement coming from military health services Meanwhile, Mkize accepted personal protective equipment and medical devices donated by the government of the United States, the church, and other stakeholders. The U.S. government has donated 1,000 ventilators, of which 50 have already arrived in the country. Blood pressure monitors are among the donated medical devices equipment. Mkize says donated materials will be distributed across the country. They have made a generous contribution which uh, amounts to 70,000 KN95 masks, 30,000 surgical masks, 50,000 coveralls, 3,420 packs of plastic aprons, and 50,000 face shields, 1.5 million gloves, and 250 infrared thermometers. All of these are valued at uh, at, uh, 1 million US dollars, and we are very pleased again to receive this donation. Beneficiaries are frontline healthcare workers dealing with the novel coronavirus pandemic. The donations came at a time when personal protective equipment, especially for frontline healthcare workers, are in dire need. U.S. Embassy Representative Sophia Siddiq says the aim is to defeat the deadly coronavirus. As we, the people of the United States, always do, we bring our entire country to the fight. And even with COVID 19, we have an all-of-America approach to assisting the global community and South Africa through the generosity of our citizens, including private businesses. American businesses, nonprofit groups, charities, faith-based organizations, and individuals have committed more than 120 billion rands in donations and assistance to South Africa's efforts to defeat COVID-19. 
For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I'm Hilda Kekero for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. For your latest on the novel coronavirus disease for Channel Africa, Amoki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Hands touch many surfaces and can pick up viruses. And at 17 minutes after 7 o'clock Central African time, right, Channel Africa, and you're still tuned into Africa Rise and Shine. Good news for indebted South African consumers is that they will now pay less on the installment debt. This comes after the Reserve Bank reduced the repo rate by 50 basis points to 3.75%. This means the prime lending rate by banks is now at 7.25%. Tsebomongwai reports. The Reserve Bank coming to the aid of indebted consumers as the battle against COVID-19 rages on. The central bank says the easing of the lockdown regulations will help support growth in the near term. It, however, says getting the economy back to pre-pandemic activity levels will take time. It expects the economy to contract 7% this year, worse than the 6.1% decline it projected in April. Reserve Bank Governor Lisecha Khanyago. These actions are intended to free up more capital for lending by financial institutions to households and firms. Monetary policy, however, cannot on its own improve the potential growth rate of the economy or reduce fiscal risks. This should be addressed by implementing prudent macroeconomic policies and structural reforms. The central bank says COVID-19 has presented challenges in focusing domestic economic activity. It says job losses are expected to be widespread, as even with East lockdown regulations, trade and investment will be hugely affected. Jeff Schultz is an economist with BNP Paribas. Um, and so I think they're going to remain uh, very data-dependent, as they always do. Um, and so if we start to get evidence uh, or more evidence of downside inflation pressures building, downside growth pressures building relative to the baseline forecast that they've provided today, then I think the, the, then I think the central bank will continue to ease policy rates accordingly. 
Consumers with debt will see a marginal reduction in the amount of money they pay on their credit. Andy Swabata is with FNB. So one may ask, what does this mean for South African small to medium businesses? Well, where a business has a bank loan and that bank loan has a variable interest rate, the monthly repayment will now be lower because the interest rate being charged is lower. So after repaying debt obligations, the interest rate cut is actually then quite helpful because it puts a little bit more cash back into the business's back pocket. That cash can then be redirected to payment of salaries, suppliers, landlords, or even insurers. That cash can also simply be put away to boost a business's cash buffer as it seeks to ride out the next few months. Inflation is now expected to average 3.4% this year and is expected to be well within the bank's target bracket over the medium term. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. While scientists are still trying to fully understand COVID-19, new information about the novel coronavirus is constantly emerging, leading to more questions. Lately, there has been growing concern around the virus possibly mutating and some predicting it may it may become an even scarier threat to humanity. To find out more on the changes in the virus that could possibly be emerging and what it all means, we are now joined on the line by Dr. Susan Lowe, a pathologist at the National Health Laboratory in South Africa. Good morning. Um, Dr. Doctor, and thank you so much for joining us here on Channel Africa. Good morning. Thanks for the invitation. Please, firstly explain in simple terms what exactly is a virus mutation. So in the life cycle of a virus, it obviously makes, needs to make more of itself. So it needs to make daughter, daughter viruses, so to speak. And when it makes another copy of itself, it sometimes makes a mistake in the sequence of the building blocks. Mm. And that mistake in the sequence then constitutes a mutation in the virus. So the daughter virus doesn't look exactly the same as the original parent virus. Does this mean that the virus, in the mutation process, does it become less um, lethal or more lethal? Or is that all dependent? It's very random. This is a random event. It's not an engineered event. So the effect of those mutations or those changes in the sequence can actually be of no consequence. So the virus could be acting exactly the same as the original virus, or it could be a virus that's more virulent. In other words, able to cause more extensive disease symptoms and signs in the patient. Mm. It could also lead to resistance to drugs, uh, drug therapy, Mm. um, and it could possibly also then be able to circumvent the effect of a vaccine if we do develop a vaccine. And what does data say at the moment about COVID-19? Is it mutating? Different viruses um, have got different uh, mutational rates. And it seems as though COVID-19 is reasonably stable. So the, the mutations or the changes in sequence seems to not occur regularly. And if this is uh, this uh, this mutation happens naturally, like you say, why is there a concern about COVID nineteen? It's just because COVID nineteen has caused such havoc 
across the globe. Um, and there's obviously a concern that if there were to be mutations, that it wa- was going to have a, even a greater effect on humanity. But it seems as though the virus is staying reasonably stable, but even the stable virus has got a lot of, uh, has a great impact on all of us. Mm. And doctor, obviously there are, you know, efforts to try and find um, a a vaccine uh, for the COVID-19. How will mutations impact these efforts? Yes, the vaccine is definitely under development or there's a lot of research that's going into a vaccine. It may be that we will develop a vaccine which protects against the parent and then once the, the offspring comes along, we don't have protection any longer. That's the concern. All right. Okay, Doctor, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Can I just have one last comment? You can go ahead, Doctor, for sure, please. That good hygiene protects Mm. against all communicable disease. And when we talk about good hygiene, we talk about hand hand sanitizing, hand washing with reputable products such as, for example, Dettol, maintaining social uh, distancing and uh, respiratory hygiene as far as coughing, sneezing and use of tissues and discarding of tissues is concerned. Those simple measures Mm. will protect even against mutated viruses and viruses that are more virulent. And with children, that's just on that, with children going back to school, doctor, parents are going to have to give their children advice, obviously, um, to try and get them to to protect themselves from this virus at schools. What advice would you have for for them um, in this, um, you know, going back to school? Children are quite different um, from, from adults and taking instruction. What are you, what is your advice? They learn by example, and your mother was correct in saying, wash your hands. Um, So we just need to, it's those simple basic principles of maintaining good hygiene and lead by example, because that's how children learn best. Thank you so much, Dr. Susan, for joining us on the line. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you. Goodbye. And that's Dr. Susan Lowe, a pathologist at the National Health Laboratory in South Africa. Let's take a quick break. Although the world is going through this difficult pandemic COVID-19, we can still celebrate our Africanness in isolation. Come celebrate with us this Monday, the 25th of May 2020, as we bring together Africans in Africa and in the diaspora to gather and reflect on the state of the African continent, pledge unity and celebrate Africa's liberation from its colonial past. Let's build a better Africa, a better world. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Bringing you your latest news on the novel coronavirus disease COVID-19. For Channel Africa, I'm Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Make sure you and people around you follow good respiratory hygiene. This means covering your mouth and nose with your bent elbow and tissue when you cough and sneeze. Then dispose the used tissue immediately. 
South Africa's power utility ESCOM is now forecasting that there will be three days of load shedding during the coming winter period from a previous forecast of 30 days before the lockdown. ESCOM CEO Andre Dereta says ESCOM's debt still remains high at 450 billion rand and the company is still not able to generate enough revenue to meet its debt servicing costs. Dereta says load shedding has had a major cost implications for the company and the country's economy while the lockdown has also presented a number of other limitations for the business. Dereta was addressing the media during a briefing at ESCOM's Megawatt Park head office in Johannesburg. Naledi Ngobo reports. ESCOM has given assurance that despite its financial challenges, it will not be approaching government for bailouts anytime soon. ESCOM has thus far received 23 billion rand of the 69 billion rand government bailout to be released over a three-year period. Dereta says ESCOM is developing plans to improve its balance sheet through a number of cost-cutting measures and improvements to its generation system. Um, We are going to be embarking on a renegotiation process with our IPPs. Uh, This is something that in particular colleagues from organized labor have been calling for. Uh, We have done analysis on that and we believe that there are opportunities for us to engage with those IPPs with a view to reducing the net cost to the South African electricity consumers. Um, And then... Uh, We are also continuing to improve our systems to allow us to uh, have far greater governance on our procurement system. Dereta says the restructuring process at ESCOM is still underway. However, the distribution side of the business is proving to be more complex and will need further work. He says the chief restructuring officer's report is yet to be submitted to government. Uh, As far as the CRO is concerned, the CRO report was supposed to have been um, handed to government at the the end of February. Uh, I understand that for a variety of reasons that I'm not fully familiar with, uh, that report has not been handed over. uh, And therefore, there are at this point in time no engagements between uh, the CRO and ESCOM. And we are... um, making our plans um, under the guidance of our board and also from the shareholder. ESCOM's Chief Operating Officer Jan Oberholzer says the lockdown has delayed the company's plans to carry out its reliability maintenance program. He says the risk of load shedding remains high over the next 18 months. So what has helped us the last eight weeks doing these urgent maintenance, short-term maintenance, when we ran the model again, we are now forecasting three days of stage one load shedding over the winter period that is coming. However, I need to say that is based on a 80% probability. But it's important to say that due to the neglect of our system over the last decade, the system remains unpredictable and very unreliable. ESCOM has indicated that despite a significant drop in demand, it has not suspended any supply of coal from existing contracts. The company says it intends to pay for the coal that has already been delivered to power stations. ESCOM's general manager for Generation, Beging Mumalo, explains. Because with the uh, lockdown, we have seen about 2 million tons drop in terms of the uh, coal that we were supposed to ban. So... So obviously that came with uh, some other challenges as well for, for the station because this uh, 2 million ton we needed to, to put it on our coal stock 
stockpiles, but because stockpiles have also got legal limits that we need to observe all the time. So hence we had to issue this uh, 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 notice to our suppliers of coal that we might not be able to take all the coal as we have planned before the lockdown. ESCOM has reported 21 cases of COVID-19 infections thus far, with most cases recorded in the Western Cape. I'm Naledi Ngobo in Johannesburg. And it's now time for our news headlines with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the number of confirmed coronavirus cases around the world has passed 5 million as the rate of new infections continues to rise in many countries. Tanzanian President John Makafuli says there's no need to continue with a partial lockdown because the number of infections in the country has gone down. And South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Cooperation says Mozambique has asked South Africa for assistance with combating an insurgency in the Cabo Delgado province. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne, for that news update. The decision to begin a phased reopening of schools on the 1st of June in South Africa has been received with mixed emotions. On Tuesday evening, Basic Education Minister Enji Motsecha announced that matriculants and grade 7 pupils will be the first to resume classes. The country has been on a lockdown for almost two months in a bid to curb the spread of the coronavirus, which has seen the nation becoming the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic on the continent. In the following report, Jane Rabotata looks into how parents and learners are reacting to the reopening of schools. If you go to the township now, kids, as early as 9 o'clock, they're playing in the streets. Schools give them a structure. They wake up in the morning, wash, get taught for two or three hours, being fed and go work home will give them lots of homework. That is what is good for children. And I'll, I'll quote this because it's very important for me. And we say, why reopen schools? It's not myself saying that. It's UNESCO, it's UNICEF and also the World Health Organizations. It says, and I quote, disruptions to instructional time in the classroom can have a severe impact on a child's ability to learn. The longer marginalized children are out of school, the less likely they are to return. And we have history around it. In 2010, when there was this long teacher strike, most of our learners, especially teenagers, didn't come back. So it says children from the poorest households are already almost five times more likely to be out of primary school than those from the richest. That's Basic Education Minister Njimutsecha detailing some of the reasons for the reopening of schools. But how do parents feel? They can practice social distancing only under supervision. But as soon as they leave premises, they won't. Yes, they are getting delayed in classes and studying. We want them to get educated, but we want them more safe and healthy and protected. I find the decision of the Department of Education very disturbing to reopen schools, considering that the number of infections and death is increasing on a day-to-day basis. I'm a health worker myself, and we're dealing with this thing every day at work, and... 
I don't want to lie. It's a scary thing. And you know, the teachers are risking their lives. But our children need education as well. So it's no use for them sitting at home. So rather let them go back and then we will take it from there and see how it goes. Hey, this thing is now going very far. I'm telling you, doesn't matter. It's a metric. It's a grade seven. They doesn't know about distance. They'll touch each other. They'll do everything. Share food, whatever. Touch everything. And then nobody's going to clean 100% in the toilets, tapes. So this will be a big flop. Fellow South Africans, here's my concern as a parent. They know that this virus doesn't want coldness. I don't think the Minister of Education is fair. Why can't they see what's going on at Eastern Cape? With over 2,000 people confirmed to be infected, the Eastern Cape is one of the provinces in the country with high numbers of COVID-19 cases. One parent based in the Western Cape, South Africa's epicenter of the coronavirus, strongly feels that the reopening of schools is an irrational move. Here's the thing. A few weeks ago, Dr. Oz a very well-known doctor in the U.S., a television doctor. He was in hot water. He said that kids should go back to school in the U.S. and that losing 3% of kids is nothing, something along those lines. And people were outraged internationally. And between the times that Africa closed down, locked down, the numbers were absolutely nothing compared to what we see now. I mean, people are making jokes online about... The Western Cape being Wuhan, and I mean, they're right. We are heading towards being the next New York, the next uh, Italy, whichever country where we've seen insane numbers and people dying. And she has some suggestions for the minister. If your worry is that less privileged kids don't have access to e-learning, then your efforts should be focused towards ensuring that all kids have e-learning and not playing chess or monopoly with our children. But how do learners feel? These grade 12s have this to say. I'm excited and never said the same time because we are behind and I don't know which we will manage to cover up everything that we have, all the days we have lost. But apart from that, I'm excited. I'm quite anxious. It feels like it's a bit too early. It feels like we are lab rats and they testing the they testing the grounds with us. But anyway, um, I prefer homeschool, so it hasn't been much of a problem. But I would be selfish if I didn't mention that most of my friends are complaining. Most of them don't feel like they're ready. We lost more than 50 days, I think. So it's, it's going to be quite hectic. It's going to be scary. Most of my peers haven't done any work ever since the lockdown started because many assumed that we'd go back next year. It remains to be seen whether learners will report to school from the 1st of June. As my child needs to go back to school, it's a big no. I am the mother of a grade 7 child. I don't want him to go, but then he's telling more he's a grown-up and he can sanitize and everything. According to me, it's not going to work. I'm not sending my child to school. It's as simple as that, especially with the Western Cape as it is. And I feel like they're in a hurry to kill our children. The president said that he listens to science. And I think right now the science is showing that we are in a disaster. Some say let parliament open first. They can go to parliament here in Cape Town and we'll see if they don't get COVID-19. They have not decided to reopen a parliament where they do gather 
to discuss issues of the country. They are actually saying that it is safe for kids to gather, but it is not safe for them as MPs or members of government to gather in parliament and continue with the business of the day. South Africa now sits with more than 17,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and more than 300 people across the country have died so far from the virus. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa, I am Collins Nusa Atohengwe in Lagos, Nigeria. Stay home if you feel unwell, if you have a fever, cough and difficulty in breathing, seek medical attention. But call in advance. Follow the directions of your local health authority. And it's 41 minutes after 7 o'clock Central African time. You're still tuned into Africa Rise and Shine. The Africa Energy Chamber, AEC, has released a report on common sense energy agenda against COVID-19 and the oil price war. The report highlights various major issues on the current crisis in relationship with the collapse in oil prices, which is taking a toll on African economies and the African energy industry. Vena Ayukegba, Senior Vice President of the Africa African Energy Chamber spoke to Channel Africa on this report. The African Energy Chamber brought out an Africa's common sense energy agenda, which is basically a 10 points uh, call to action to African governments, to the African energies, energy sector to address the COVID-19 and the oil price uh, crisis, which the sector is currently facing. Now you're calling on African governments to actually deal with the challenges that they faced because of the COVID-19. Please detail uh, pointers that you came up with. Yes, uh, it's first of all important to understand what happened. As a result of COVID, a lot of economies coming to a halt, grinding to a halt. Uh, the demand for oil significantly reduced. And what that made is that it had a significant knock on the price of oil. Also, there was, uh, before COVID even, difficulties between oil producers as a result, uh, particularly Russia and Saudi Arabia went into some sort of a pricing war, which also drove the prices of oil down. The problem with that is it, it makes producing oil, oil industry significantly non-profitable. And as a result, 
people are not going to invest uh, to be able to ensure that we have future developments of these resources on the continent. It is therefore important that African governments, especially African oil producers, look at it and say, what can we do to make sure that we can still, despite the very difficult environment that we have, still keep a very viable oil and gas industry to make sure that, of course, in a year's time or in two years' time, we still have, uh, you know, the oil resources that we need to power our economies. So in detail, for example, what the chamber was calling at uh, are things like expanding uh, exploration uh, licenses, those which were supposed to end can get a one or two year extension. Uh, I'm happy to say that the government of Equatorial Guinea uh, has already ascended to that particular demand and extended unilaterally the licenses uh, for two further years of everyone who held the license in Equatorial Guinea. We're saying we need to be able to look at our tax regimes, for example, and to say at this particular moment where companies are very unprofitable because of the price environment, why don't we reduce taxes or even defer taxes to say, you know, we can close those back when the prices get back to normal, when the industry gets back to normal. How do we support companies, South African companies, for example, uh, operating in the gas space? How do we support them to make sure that they continue employing people during this difficult time because there is no point uh, you know the government turning a deaf ear and then letting all of those people go and you know in a year or two you are looking to rehire them so those are some of the, you know, common sense approaches that we are calling on governments to look at. And tell us about, maybe paint a picture of how these oil price wars have actually damaged African economies, especially those oil producing economies because of these wars. Yes, I mean, you have a number of countries, uh, for example, Angola gets over 90% of government revenue out of uh, oil resources. Uh, the same for Equatorial Guinea. Nigeria also gets a substantial amount of government revenue out of the oil industry. Uh, a lot of people are employed in these industries. South Africa is a very important base for the oil industry in Africa. Out of the port of Durban and the ports of Cape Town, there is a lot of work in terms of work going on on rigs, refurbishments that are going out. And you can imagine, of course, that with the price of oil going down below 30 uh, and even below 20 in some instances this year, what it basically happens is that companies don't invest anymore. Uh, some of those companies go bankrupt. So what happens is, of course, that not only do governments lose in revenue, they also have a lot more unemployed people on the books within the countries which they have to take care. So it's absolutely a vital industry which one has to safeguard and make sure that, you know, with these kinds of common sense approaches, one can put in the kinds of measures that are going to bridge the crisis. It's really important to think in a long-term perspective here and to say this is how important this particular resource is for the continent to power our economies. And so we need to find ways to be able to bridge the current crisis. Mm -hmm. It is certainly a crisis that is also going to have an end just like other crises. And so it's important to understand in what context we are and how to find ways to be able to bridge them and support companies, 
that employ people and countries overall out of it. And how urgent are these reforms? They are urgent. You need to hit the iron when it's hot. We are in a crisis mode at the moment. It's important to be able to put in those measures now. We want to stop people losing jobs now. So it's important that governments do that now. And in the interim, because the situation is still continuing, if it does continue further than uh, the current uh, period right now, May, what would this mean for the industry, uh, the continent? It is going to be very difficult for the industry because what it's going to mean is that a lot of capital investments are not going to be made. So long term, we're going to see a significant reduction in the output, long term, a significant reduction in the income that a lot of governments receive, African governments. We want African governments to make as much money as they can to be able to finance education, to be able to finance social projects, to be able to finance projects with women, to be able to finance projects with children. So you need African governments to make that money to be able to spend it in that way. And so we are really appealing on governments to look at some of these common sense measures to make sure that, you know, we can retain as much revenue as possible uh, within our countries to be able to finance a lot of some of these projects, which are extremely important for our development. And that's Venia Ayukegba, Senior Vice President of the African Energy Chamber in London in the United Kingdom, talking to Tutongobeni. It's now time for a quick break. Hi, my name is Neto, NETO Chemani, presenter and producer for Channel Africa Sport. This Africa Day, I urge all nations to support a peaceful and prosperous Africa. What is good for Africa is good for the world. Hashtag building a better Africa and a better world. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Although the world is going through this difficult pandemic COVID-19, we can still celebrate our Africanness in isolation. Come celebrate with us this Monday, the 25th of May 2020, as we bring together Africans in Africa and in the diaspora to gather and reflect on the state of the African continent, pledge unity and celebrate Africa's liberation from its colonial past. Let's build a better Africa, a better world. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And it's now time for our economics news with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. South African trade union Kasatu has called on the banking sector to lower its interest rate in line with the lowering of the repo rate. Kosatu has welcomed the decision by the Reserve Bank to reduce the repo rate by 50 basis points to 3.57%. This means the prime lending rate the bank is now 7.25%. That means indebted consumers will pay 
less on their debt installment. As South Africa continues to battle with the coronavirus pandemic, the nationwide lockdown has impacted business and employees, with some being not being able to work and some businesses not being able to pay workers. Kosatu's parliamentary coordinator, Matthew Pox, says often the interests charged by banks and other financial institutions are excessive. Every little rand incentive will help workers. This is going to help. It'll mean a few hundred rand extra back into each worker's pocket each month. We are hopeful that the Reserve Bank will give more repo rate cuts throughout the rest of the year. Inflation is falling quite significantly. It's projected now to go to about 2.8%. But we think now the commercial banks also have to play their role. They can cut the interest rates much more than the repo rate has been cut. Often the interest rates that the commercial banks and other financial lenders charge is excessive. More money in people's pockets means they can spend more. It will also help companies to survive and to avoid retrenching workers. So this is the kind of interventions we need. South Africa's power utility says despite a significant drop in demand, it has not suspended existing contracts for any supply of coal and it intends to pay for the coal that has already been delivered to its power stations. This after ESCOM sent its coal suppliers a precautionary force majeure or a clause that seeks to free both parties from contractual obligations in the event of extraordinary circumstances beyond the party's control. Eskom informed coal suppliers that it may ask them to reduce coal supply as a result of lower demand since the start of the national lockdown. It says the forced measure will remain in place until the end of the month. Eskom's group executive for Generation, Beging Mumalo, has told the media that they had 55 days worth of stockpiles. Because with the uh, lockdown, we have seen it about two, 2 million tons drop in terms of the uh, coal that we were supposed to ban. So so obviously that came with uh, some other challenges as well for, for the station because this uh, 2 million ton we needed to, to put it on our coal stock stockpiles, but the coal stockpiles have also got legal limits that we need to observe all the time. So hence we had to issue this uh, 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 notice to our suppliers of coal that we might not be able to take all the coal as we have planned before the lockdown. Eskim's group executive for Generation, Pegin Mumalo, says during the lockdown they have recorded a 2 million ton loss in coal supply. With the, the lockdown, we had to declare a force majeure in our specifically primary energy department division for our coal uh, suppliers because with the uh, lockdown, we have seen it about 2 million tons drop in terms of the uh, coal that we were supposed to ban. So... So obviously that came with some other challenges as well for the station because this uh, 2 million ton we needed to, to put it on our stockpiles, but the coal stockpiles have also got legal limits that we need to observe all the time. So hence we had to issue this notice to our suppliers of coal that we might not be able to take all the coal as we have planned before the lockdown. Cooperative Bank and British American Tobacco have been added to the MSCI Frontier Markets Index, which tracks performance of blue chip stocks in Kenya. They join Safaricom, Equity Bank and Kenya Breweries, which have been outperforming the index in dividend yield, price to equity and price to book value. The MSCI Kenyan Index had dipped following the March sell-off after reports of the first coronavirus case in the country. 
as foreign investors moved to safer assets. Namibia's Ministry of Finance has requested the National Assembly to allow the postponement of the tabling of the national budget to next Tuesday. The tabling was supposed to have taken place last week. Members of Parliament are scheduled to resume sitting on Tuesday after a break of almost two months following their inauguration of in March this year. The Namibian reported in March that the government has been using funds that were not authorized during the normal approval of the national budget by parliament. The US dollar is trading at 388.2 Nigerian Nara, 11.96 Botswana Pula, 105.78 Kenyan Shilling and 18.12 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, let's start off in Brazil where 1 US dollar will cost you 5 real 63 in Russia, 70 rubles 97 in India, 74 rupees 98 China. 7 yuan 11 and in south africa it'll cost you 17 rand 79. the us dollar is also trading at 81 pence to the british pound and at 91 cents to the euro and look at commodities markets now gold 1721 platinum 821 per ounce the price of brand crude oil is 36 dollars 65 cents a barrel it's channel africa Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that wraps up Africa, rise and shine for today. From myself, Jolani Tulo, producer, Luanda Maume, technical producer, Suso Mashejo, and the rest of the Africa, rise and shine team. Thank you for listening. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Malabulabu by Grumpy's to enjoy.